Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode 49, Leviathan, part 1. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Hello and welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast, the show, the only show. <laughs> that tells you the things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. Isn't that right, Zena? That is very true. I really don't know another show that's doing just like we're doing. You know? Me either. Well, first of all, because no other show has a Zena. <laughs> <laughs> and no other show has a Pastor Scott. Well, thank you. I, I feel like uh, I'm nothing without you, but that's, <laughs> that's good. So as promised last episode, we're going to get into Leviathan today. Yes. That's a weird name, isn't it? It is. And now you had, had you ever heard that word before? I forgot if I asked you. No, Leviathan. I haven't heard of okay. Leviathan. It's kind of used rarely today, but it is used sort of symbolic of an overreaching monstrous, like government, you know, or okay. like, like a big corporation that has its hooks and everything. And so, and I don't think it's a positive, it's usually negative. So it's not descriptive of like, oh, we have the best big government. You know, I think it's like, oh, government's turned into a Leviathan, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of used that way, but it, its origin is from the Bible. It's actually a Hebrew word. And as, as with so many things in the Bible, it's much deeper than yes. we think. So this is going to be a two-part series today. All right. So we're going to start in the book of Psalms because believe it or not, there was the word Leviathan is only used about six times in the Bible. Why is that? Uh, most of them are passing references. And one is a chapter, an entire chapter in the book of Job that's dedicated to who and what this creature is. Okay. Uh, why it's only used six times is unclear. It's referenced indirectly without saying the word because what we're going to find out is it's a serpent. And it's a sea monster. Okay. So Leviathan originally was considered to be a sea monster. And what we're not sure about is, since things are types in the Bible, you know, we could say there was a man, his name was Moses. He lived, he died, he has a history. God gave him the commandments and tables of stone. He stood on a mountain and he read the law of Moses to the ears of the people of Israel, right? Mm -hmm. That's a real person. He's a type of Christ. Jesus Christ, who was thousands of years later, also stood on a mountain and gave a sermon of the New Testament law. Okay. Right? So in a sense, Moses is a type of Christ. Moses led the children of Israel out of deliverance of bondage in Egypt. Christ leads people out of bondage to Satan and brings him to God. So all the types are there. Well, Leviathan is a type of Satan. Okay. So we're going to find that out. And... Um, he is a picture of Satan in more than one aspect. But what we don't know is, was there actually a real living creature 
that was called Leviathan that once occupied this earth, and maybe now it could be like extinct, mm -hmm. but at the time he was the perfect type of okay. Satan. So we'll find out and we'll start in Psalm 104. And uh, I hope this brings a lot of uh, people interested in writing. In fact, we got a lot of great uh, listener responses today. And by the way, uh, I want to remind people to start looking on our Facebook pages. We've been getting so many great letters and things that we're starting to post listener testimonials. So yours might show up there Ooh, <laughs> if, fancy. If, if you write us, you know, and, uh, and even if you don't have anything good to say, we might post that too. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. We hope it's good. Now, in the 104th Psalm, verse 24, the writer says, O Lord, how manifold are thy works! In wisdom hast thou made them all, meaning all his works. Uh, the earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, think of the ocean, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships, so we're thinking of sailing vessels. There is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play therein. Now you think of playing animals like dolphins, yeah. frolicking or something like that. So that's the not the first occurrence of it, but it was referred to in such a way it was like a given that people reading this would know what that meant, at least in, to the Hebrews. Yes. Because the Bible is a Hebrew book for the most part. Um, now you can look up the... Uh, word Leviathan in Wikipedia, and you get a definition. Mm -hmm. And so let's read that to get our readers started, just something to give us a little taste of it. In Wikipedia, the definition says that Leviathan is a creature with the form of a sea serpent in Judaism. It is referenced in several books of the Hebrew Bible, including Psalms, the book of Job, the book of Isaiah, the book of Amos, it is also mentioned in the apocryphal book of Enoch. And we've talked about the book of Enoch before. Yes. We may look at that reference just, just for the history of it. Uh, the Leviathan of the book of Job is a reflection of the older Canaanite Lotan. So the Canaanites, was, that was a people at one time, a, mm -hmm. a region of the... In fact, it was what became Israel. They evidently had a story or legend of a creature called Lotan. It was a primeval monster defeated by the god Baal-Hadad. <laughs> Parallels to the role of Mesopotamian Tiamat, defeated by Marduk, have long been drawn in comparative mythology. In other words, some people might claim that the Hebrew Leviathan is a copy of the Mesopotamian Tiamat, who was defeated by Marduk. And uh, as have been wider comparisons to dragons and world serpent narratives such as Indra slaying Vritra or Thor slaying, and I don't know how to pronounce that, yeah. Yormungandra or something <laughs> like that. It's like trying to pronounce the name of Thor's hammer, you know, yeah. Mjolnir, whatever. So Leviathan also figures in the Hebrew Bible as a metaphor for a powerful enemy, notably Babylon. And we'll come to talk about Babylon somewhat later. Some 19th century scholars pragmatically interpreted it as referring to large aquatic creatures, such as the crocodile. Now, notice the word pragmatically there. It's almost as if the, the writers of Wikipedia are saying, enough of that symbolic mythological nonsense. There was never such thing as a sea monster. It was probably just a crocodile. <laughs> 
when we read the account in the book of Job of mm-hmm. Leviathan, if you come away thinking that's a crocodile, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Okay. <laughs> okay. There's my wager with you. <laughs> the word later came to be used as a term for a great whale and for sea monsters in general. So really, I guess before it was ever applied to entities like corporations or government, maybe people would use Leviathan to refer to as a sea monster. And it's kind of funny, before they discovered the new world, back when they kind of thought you'd fall off the edge of the ocean if you went too far, you know? Yeah. And they didn't know there was a North America. Oftentimes, maps were drawn of the areas that they did know. Obviously, they knew Europe, they knew Africa, they knew the Mediterranean. And then when a map showed past the area that's never been explored, it always had a picture of a sea monster. Really? Yeah, and it would say, here be dragons, you know, or something like (laughs) that. So it was clearly, at least at some point in human history, the concept of sea monsters was real to people Mm -hmm. at one point in time. Now, they made reference to the Book of Enoch. I don't put a lot of stock in the Book of Enoch because while it's historically significant and there's the possibility that it was cited in the Bible, we don't know that there was actually a book written by Enoch. You know, the real Enoch, the man who was taken up to heaven without dying by God, uh, who lived way, way back when, like uh, he was... uh, like the great-grandson of Adam or something. We don't know that he actually did write a book, and nothing of it ever did survive. So what calls itself the book of Enoch today may not be actually the book that he wrote. Mm -hmm. When you think about a book that's like 5,000 years old, uh, could it survive that long? I I doubt it. Now, obviously, God could preserve anything. But he chose not to begin his book until Moses Mm-hmm. and Moses would have written the Pentateuch of the Bible, so Genesis, Exodus, those books, and uh, much, much later than Enoch ever lived. And it's almost as though God chose his word to go through the Hebrew people, and he did. He said, unto them were given the oracles of God. So the idea that somebody outside of God's plan could have written a book of scriptural, spiritual significance is probably far removed from me. But somewhere along the line, somebody claiming to be Enoch or a bunch of scribes who put a bunch of writings together thinking they were the writings of Enoch compiled a book. Okay. So it's going to have some significance to history. When you, I've read it. I have a copy of it. I've read it. It contradicts the Bible in so many places. I don't believe it's the Word of God. But it's useful sometimes. Mm-hmm. And in this case, within the book of Enoch, there's a little section called the book of Noah, a fragment. And I evidently they think Noah wrote this, you know, oh, so no. then we go back, you know, a little later than Enoch, but before Noah or the time of Noah. And there's a chapter one of this fragment and verses seven and eight read. And on that day were two monsters parted, a female monster named Leviathan. Interesting. The Bible never refers to Leviathan in the in the feminine. Okay. Always masculine. It's a masculine term in Hebrew. Okay. But this one has a female monster named Leviathan to dwell in the abysses of the ocean over the fountains of the waters. But the male is named Behemoth, because they said there were two monsters, mm-hmm. who occupied with his breast a waste wilderness named Duidane on the east of the garden where the elect and righteous dwell, where my grandfather was taken up, the seventh from Adam, the first man whom the Lord of Spirits created. So evidently, you know, it's Noah claiming to write this. His grandfather was Enoch. Okay. And Enoch was the seventh from Adam. There is a reference in the Bible to a behemoth, by the way. 
Who's behemoth? It appears to be a large land-dwelling creature of some kind. Oh. And uh, it, when I read the passage, it looks to be like a brontosaurus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or a plesiosaur or some kind of large dinosaur. I don't really know what it is. But I do think that's, you know, there's plenty of animal species that have gone extinct. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility there were larger land-dwelling animals or sea-dwelling animals, for that matter, that no longer exist today uh, that might have been hunted to extinction, like the dodo bird and, you know, other things. Yeah. The, the bird wasn't the behemoth. It wasn't that big. It was about a six-foot-tall big bird. That is a big bird. <laughs> yeah. It was, um, I think, native to Australia. Or maybe New Zealand, but they they were hunted to extinction pretty quickly because that's a lot of fried chicken in a and in yeah. a big bird, and you could get him done taking care of pretty quickly. <laughs> they Our were slow witted and they weren't very fast, so <laughs> yeah, I think that was <laughs> pretty. They're just bound to die. <laughs> like somebody once told me, a chicken is just a vegetable with a chance, you know. <laughs> True. So Leviathan uh, may or may not have been an actual creature that existed. It probably did. And, you know, when you think about the blue whale is the largest animal that ever lived on the earth, and it's gigantic. I mean, the blue whale still exists today. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that um, there are sea creatures that we have yet to discover, and we'll still find some. And maybe this thing is hiding out somewhere. But it doesn't really matter whether it did exist or it once existed and now doesn't, or we just never discovered it, because the symbolism is what the Bible's interested in talking about here. So the actual Hebrew word for Leviathan is Leviathan. I can't pronounce Hebrew, but uh, that's the best, you know, it's what it looks like. And uh, its first usage in the Bible, that word is translated into the word mourning, and mourn there as in you weep or you, you lament for somebody, yeah. in case my listeners are hearing in my southern accents, makes them think I'm talking about the morning <laughs> for the day. And it's only translated mourning one time. All other times it's translated as Leviathan. I wonder why that is. Well, that would tell me, Zena, that mourning is somehow connected with Leviathan. Sadness, grieving, death. Whatever. So uh, I would think that he's not a positive entity at all. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> and that first usage is in Job chapter 3. So we'll read that just to, put, just to give it some context, because now we're in actual scripture that I believe is true. So Job chapter 3, verse 1. Now, to put a little bit of context, it might help to understand, because this is all going to tie in. Job, again, was a real man. And he's the guy that was rich and everything was going great, but the devil met with God one day and said, God was, where have you been? And Job said, I've been going down, up and down in the earth. And he said, have you noticed my servant Job? He's a great man. He's righteous. He obeys me. And Satan said, ah, give me, let me add him. I'll get him to curse you to your face. So God allowed Satan to attack Job. And first he took away all his wealth and his family and killed his sons and daughters. Only his wife was left and he still didn't curse God. And then when he came back to the Lord. The Lord said, see, he still hasn't cursed me. And Lucifer said, ah, let me add his body, skin for skin. Everything a man has, he'll give for his skin, right? So God said, okay, you can afflict his body, but don't take his life. So Satan afflicted him with boils from head to toe. And he sat down and he scraped himself with a bit of pottery. And he lamented the day he was born, but he never cursed God. Now, all this happening to this man 
was a picture of Israel being rejected, tried by God, and going through the time of tribulation. Not many people realize that that whole scenario that he went through is a picture. It's type. It's a metaphor. He really did go through it, and it really did happen to a real person, but it went for this reason. So in chapter 3, Job has just found himself lost everything. He's afflicted. He's mourning. He's sad. He wants to die. So he starts in verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth, and he cursed his day, meaning the day of his birth. And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. Now, the term man-child is going to factor in importantly later on. So I'm going to throw that out there to the listeners to put that in the back of your mind, man-child. Every time I read that, I, I grew up in the 60s, right? And there was a movie that came out in the 60s called The Jungle Book. Oh, I like that movie. I do too. And the little character that was the boy that got lost in the mm-hmm. jungle and raised by wolves was Mowgli. And they called him Man Cub. Aww. <laughs> Isn't that cute? That so when cute. I see the man child, I think of the man cub. So there's a man child conceived. Let, let the day perish where it was said. Because normally if we said, oh, you gave birth to a baby boy, that would be a wonderful rejoicing. Mm-hmm. Verse 4, let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined unto the days of the year. <laughs> let it not come into the number of the months. This is a sad man. Yes. He's not wanting it ever to be remembered that he was ever born. That's how uh, woefully was. But like I said, it's a picture of Israel in their affliction And hopefully when that affliction reaches a certain point, they're going to turn back to God. Verse 7, Lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their mourning. And that word mourning in verse 8 is the word Levithion or Leviathan. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day. Now, it's so interesting how he talks about the day, the night, the darkness, and the light, and all that in connection to the man-child, because we're going to find that when Jesus Christ returns to the earth, he brings back the day. Mm -hmm. He's the morning star, and he's going to replace their mourning sadness with joy. Yeah. So all of this to me is prophetic. It's a picture. But interesting that the word used for mourning here is the same word that's translated in Leviathan every other time. So does Leviathan have anything to do with Israel's affliction, their mourning, their darkness, and preceding the coming of the Lord? Well, I would say yes. (laughs) Now, as I mentioned, the Hebrew word for Leviathan is Livyothon. I'm sure I'm not saying that right. And uh, the root of the word is a different Hebrew word, which is laval. It looks like lava. Uh, And it means to be joined, to borrow, or to lend. Now, that's interesting. We've talked in the past about the love of money. Yes. Is the root of all evil, borrowing, lending. And to be joined. I think the idea of joining together is once we read in the book of Job, chapter 41, the description of this creature, it has scale. It's a dragon. It has scales that are joined together so tightly no air can get in. Yeah, so that would mean it waterproof. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the definition of a Strong's uh, Hebrew concordance has 
that Liviathan is a wreathed animal, such as a serpent, especially the crocodile or some other large sea monster. I mean, come on, crocodiles are not that big. Well, I shouldn't say that. Have you ever seen the ones in Australia? No, I have not. Saltwater crocs, they are monsters, but they didn't live in the Mediterranean. Really? Yeah. So by the way, don't ever go to Australia. Everything there will eat you. <laughs> yeah, no. don't go swimming. <laughs> I'm kidding. Australia is a beautiful place, but they do have some large man-eating things, you yeah. know, crocodiles and mako sharks and whatever. I'm you sure can tell I just got is. through watching Shark Week on Discovery. I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they also say that figuratively he is the constellation of the dragon, so that's a zodiacal symbol, and also as a symbol of Babylon. And we hmm. talked about that before. Yeah. And we're going to find the connection to Babylon here shortly. The word, as I said, is translated as Leviathan and mourning throughout the Bible. Now, Zena, do me a favor. Take a close look at those weird-looking characters to the left there. You can't see this as the listener, but it's the actual Hebrew letters that spell Leviathan. Okay? Those are Hebrew alphabet. They look very unusual to us because unless you were Jewish and you read Hebrew, you wouldn't know what that was. But those symbols are read from right to left instead of left to right. So we read English from left to right. I kind of assumed it was from right to left because the last one looks kind of like an L. Right. And they point to the left. Yeah. You know, like our letters, when we we tend to, they kind of point. Well, our letters kind of point to the left, too, if they have a tail, like the Y or the G. But their letters kind of do the same thing. They point to the left, you know, but you read from right to left. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why I brought that out is because, interestingly enough, the Church of Satan adopted one of their symbols, uh, and they call this the symbol of Leviathan. And it's a pentagram. It's a symbol of a five-pointed star pointing down. Within the symbol is the picture of a goat with horns. Yeah. And we've talked about that before. It's the symbol of Baphomet when we talk about satanic occult symbols and all. But notice in this symbol, those letters starting counterclockwise from the bottom point spell out Leviathan. Wowzers. It's those same five Hebrew characters or letters, and they have little, um, these little things that look like uh, punctuation marks at the bottom are referred to by Jesus as jots and tittles, and so they're kind of like uh, accent marks to determine whether or not a vowel is short or long or things like that, and that's how Hebrew is written. So the, the main words, the main letters are these, and those little guys will interpret how you pronounce it with an ah or an o or whatever. And so Liviathan um, would look like that properly spelled out, but you don't need the little symbols for the letters to be A, B, C, D, right? Okay. Well, these are not those letters, but they spell out Leviathan. So even Satanists connect Leviathan to Satan. And so that's the direction we're going to go here. And we're going to go to the book of Job again, but we're going to go to chapter 41, In this chapter, the entire chapter is dedicated to this one animal. And let's read about it. We're going to read the whole thing. Okay. Because it's it's long. It's quite a few verses. But I want to give our listeners and you the full picture. So let your mind go wild. Okay. As we read these verses. Yeah, close your eyes. And try to imagine the monster that would be described in these verses. Okay. So uh, God is speaking to Job at the end of the book. 
And he says, canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook? And to draw is like to drag it out of the ocean. So basically you can't fish him. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook or his tongue with a cord, which thou lettest down? Canst thou put an hook into his nose or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Will he make many supplications unto thee? That's like if you caught a fish and he started going, oh, please let me go. Please let me go. Don't hurt me. You know, you know, <laughs> he's like pleading for his life. He won't do that. And, and these are rhetorical questions. The answer is obviously no. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Will he make many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? You know, I beg you, please have mercy. Oh, uh, will he make a covenant with thee? I'll give you a bargain. My dad's rich. If you let me go and you don't eat me, <laughs> you know, my dad will give you a lot of money. Will he make a covenant with thee? Wilt thou take him for a servant forever? And so obviously Job and his friends that are hearing all this would have known what Leviathan was mm-hmm. and would have known that God is using him to represent something that's impossible. You could not do these things, okay? Wilt thou play with him as with a bird? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? Shall the companions make a banquet of him? Shall they part him among the merchants? In other words, are you going to catch him, bring him home and cut him up and let guys sell out the meat and the skin and whatever, the hide or the, you know, mount your fish on the wall like the singing bass, right? (laughs) Ever seen that? Yes, my grandma had one of those. (laughs) Those are ridiculous. Uh, Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? Implying that his skin is so thick you couldn't even pierce him. Lay thine hand upon him. Remember the battle. Do no more. I think what he means by that is you touch him, you're dead. The last thing you're going to remember is the fight that took like an instant and he ate you and swallowed you up. Okay. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? The idea is if you, if you think your hope is to catch him, it's vanity because you just look at him. You're going to, you're going to pass out. That's a fierce sounding creature, isn't it? Yeah, I don't want to catch that creature. No one is so fierce that dare stir him up. Now, all this time, God is describing this Leviathan, and he's saying things that Job and his friends could relate to. Like, yeah, you're right. I would never tangle with that guy. Yeah. And then he says in verse 10, none is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? So God is saying, I created him. You wouldn't tangle with that. Why would you tangle with me? It's a very true statement. Very true statement. But there's more. He says, who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. So the idea is like, you know, who's going to stop me from doing whatever I decide to do? Whatever my purpose is, whatever my will is, it's going to be done because I created the entire heaven. All right. He says, I will not conceal his parts, back to talking about Leviathan, Mm -hmm. nor his power, nor his comely proportion. So the idea is God's not hiding this creature. He's not withholding him, exercising whatever power he has, right? Who can discover the face of his garment? Or who can come to him with his double bridle? Think of it, well, why would an animal wear a garment? But this one did. Yeah. Right. Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible roundabouts. I think that's a euphemism for the jaws. So now we're starting to get this picture of like a sea monster or a, or a dragon. That his teeth are terrible roundabout. 
His scales are his pride. Now I'm starting to think like a reptile, a dragon. Shut up together as with a close seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. And that joining together is that root word of laval. That is the root of Leviathan. So I think that may be where it comes from. They stick. Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. Together, they cannot be sundered, which means separated or spread apart. So the scales are tight. You can't penetrate them. It's like armor. Okay. Then we get introduced to a new English word that had never been used before. By his niecings, a light doth shine. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. In this case, it's the day morning, not the, the bad accent morning. Uh, so, Niesings, what is that? I have no idea. What does it sound like? Nieces. Nieces, okay, good enough, which obviously <laughs> would be like you're an aunt, auntie, and you have, yeah. you know, these, uh, your, your sister's daughters, right? Uh, it's spelled N-E-E-S-I-N-G-S. It might be the original Old English word for a sneeze. So by his niecings, a life doth shine, as in something's coming out of his nostrils. Okay. Like smoke or fire, like a dragon. Mm-hmm. He's a fire-breathing dragon. But wait, there's more. By his niecings, a light doth shine, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps, and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke, as out of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals. To kindle a coal means to start a barbecue, right? Yeah. (laughs) And a flame goeth out of his mouth. This is a dragon. It's a fire-breathing dragon. Verse 22, in his neck remaineth strength, and sorrow is turned into joy before him, meaning he delights in making people sad. Well, that's not nice. It's joyful for him to make people sorrowful, hence the word mourning, right? Leviathan mourning, sadness. Yeah. Right? The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. His heart is as firm as a stone. 
yea, as hard as a piece of the nether millstone. So in other words, he's like hard-hearted. Nothing, nothing moves him. No compassion, no mercy. This creature wouldn't, would run right over you, wouldn't care, right? Burn up your village, burn up your town. Think Godzilla, <laughs> right? Aww. <laughs> and I like Godzilla. I was a fan. Verse 25, when he raiseth up himself, the mighty are afraid. By reasons of breakings, they purify themselves. The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold. I think the impression is given that even the mightiest warrior is scared, shaken, you know, like losing their control yeah. when they see this creature. The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold. The spear, the dart, nor the habergian, that's a type of a weapon. He esteemeth iron as straw and brass as rotten wood. So metal to him is just like, you know, straw. Yeah. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laugheth at the shaking of a spear. Sharp stones are under him. He spreadeth sharp pointed things upon the mire, implying that maybe something about his bottom, his belly, as he goes, uh, just, just tears up everything. Like, you know, people say a shark's skin is like sandpaper. It can actually cut you. Really? You rub your hand across it. Yeah, yeah. And so it's probably something like that, you know. Verse 31, he maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. So think of boiling water is hot. So maybe he, wherever he goes and swims, the water gets heated up to a boiling point because he's a dragon. Okay. Right? right? He maketh a path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. H-O-A-R-Y, hoary, is an old English word for like frost on the ground. So uh, when you, it's white. And so if you look at the sea and it's green or dark blue and something goes along and it's wake. If you've ever been water skiing? I have not. Yeah. When you ski and the path of the boat, you got to skip through those, you know, mm-hmm. waves or whatever you want to call them. Well, imagine a path like that, a wake is what it's called. And in the wake, it's like frothing on the surface of the water instead of just a little bump, right? And um, he says, uh, verse, last two verses, upon earth there is not his like who is made without fear. There was no other animal like this. And then last, he beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. The king of pride. So it's a picture of Satan. God made Satan the most beautiful creature, the cherub, right? But his heart is a stone. He, that's why he never gives up. We talk about why does he do this? Why does he always continue? Yeah. He thinks he can beat God. He's so filled with pride. He actually believes he can defeat God. So this animal might have been a picture that God created to show Lucifer, this is you, buddy. Yeah. And I can take him out. I can take you out too. Mm-hmm. So all of this is going to tie back into Israel and their time of tribulation. The other place where Leviathan was uh, used in the Old Testament is the book of Amos. And Amos chapter 9, Amos was a prophet of God. And uh, it's used in an interesting context here. And we'll read these passages right quick uh, because it's a picture As a prophet, Amos says, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and he said, Smite the lintel of the door, that the posts may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. 
uh, it's a picture of God pouring vengeance out on the wicked priesthood in Israel mm -hmm. in the tabernacle or the temple. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. Though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. They couldn't do that, but even if they could, God would get them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. He's saying there's nowhere you can get to escape from me. Because Israel was misled by the priesthood and the leaders, um, their hydra, yeah. right? And they ultimately turned and worshiped other gods and they burned their children and sacrificed to Moloch. And God says, I'm going to punish you for that. Verse four, and though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, which was a mountain, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent and he shall bite them. Now, it doesn't say Leviathan here. It wasn't translated from that word, but the um, Wikipedia entry referred to the book of Amos there. And Amos doesn't have the word Leviathan in there. It must have been perhaps a Jewish or Hebrew tradition that this particular serpent that would bite them in the bottom of the sea was Leviathan. Mm -hmm. So that's probably where they got that from. Okay. But I wanted to read it in the context because it says... And though they go into captivity before their enemies, which Israel did, thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them, and I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. And the Lord of hosts is he that toucheth the land, and it shall melt, and all that dwell therein shall mourn. So there's mourning, part of Leviathan. Mm -hmm. And it shall rise up wholly like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt, and who is going to do this? God. It is he that buildeth the stories in the heaven and hath founded his troop in the earth. He that calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are ye not as children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel, saith the Lord? Have not I brought you up, Israel, out of the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Syrians from Kerr? He's kind of like saying, look, I treated you well. I delivered you from your oppressors in, in Egypt and whatever, and you turned against me. Yeah. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. This is Israel. And I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. And ultimately, we know that God would restore Israel and will restore Israel through Jesus Christ. But I read all this because I think there's something going on here that's going to tie in. He said, if they go down to try to escape from me to the bottom of the sea, I'll make the serpent bite them. We're going to find the serpent attacking God's Israel in the last days. And we're going to find how it ties to Leviathan. If we don't finish it today, we're going to get to it, Lord willing, next week. Okay. So with the time we do have remaining, we're going to go back to the Psalms, chapter 74. And we're going to see something very interesting there in verse 14. David writes in the Psalms, Thou breakest the heads, plural, of Leviathan in pieces, and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Heads, how many heads do we have? We have one. I have one. <laughs> Most animals only have one head, right? <laughs> well, this animal has more than one head. Heads of Leviathan. Now, since Leviathan is meant to be metaphor for what we're going to get into later, uh, these heads could be talking about the leaders involved in this empire. Mm -hmm. But it wouldn't surprise me 
if Leviathan, if he existed as a real creature, was a seven-headed, fire-breathing red dragon. You, you said you'd heard of the word Godzilla? Yes. Okay, so you know they made movies about him. and so mm-hmm. He's a fictional character from Japan. Uh, one of his enemies, another monster, was called Ghidorah. And it was a three-headed dragon, I think. Was it three? It might have been more than that. <laughs> but uh, it, it kind of is a picture of yeah. what I think of when I think of Leviathan, you know. I, I was a kid, so I went to watch all those monster movies. By the way, back then, Godzilla was played by a guy in a suit. It was really? so bad. We had no computer-generated effects. We, ne- we had, <laughs> what is that stuff called? CIG or yeah. <laughs> whatever. I mean, we had nothing like that. So Ghidorah was a man in a suit or maybe two. <laughs> it was so bad. So cheesy. But when you're 12 years old, that's the coolest thing in the world. Right. Right? So um, the heads of Leviathan and gave him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Now, there are scholars that want to say that's an interpretation that when God had the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and he fed them manna from heaven, that he, that's when he destroyed Leviathan to do so. There's no reference to that anywhere in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But Israel wandering in the wilderness is a picture of something else, you know. So we're going to de- delve into that. But let's summarize what we've learned so far about Leviathan. Now, as I read Job 41 and you closed your eyes and you tried to form in your mind, what mental image did you get, Zena? Um, So I definitely am, I imagine something that's of like a crocodile like like skin like a crocodile for yeah. sure. You're right. Um, maybe a crocodile walking on two very short legs. <laughs> they have pretty short like, legs anyway. I kind of like imagine like a T Rex in a crocodile form. If okay. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't I didn't think of a dragon. A dragon definitely did not come to mind. Right. I thought of like, oh, a T-Rex, that's a, that's a crocodile that got mixed together. Bam. I did not think of multiple heads Yeah. Um, at all. Maybe, would it be fair to say something like the image of a dinosaur sort of occurred to you? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Definitely like an image, like, yeah, definitely like a T-Rex that had the, like, that had like the skin of a crocodile. Cool. Okay. But so not like bumpy the, and scaly. Yeah, and, but right. not like you know how T Rex have like those little arms. Yeah. Not like the little video. Not arms. like the little T Rex hands, right? Like they had um, <laughs> big arms, but like they just they didn't touch the ground. And what did you think of the passages referring to fire and coal of his nostrils and everything else? Did that come into? Yeah. I mean, there's no dinosaurs that breathe fire that I know of. I just. It, I honestly just could, like, I imagined a T-Rex, like, ah, okay. and, you know, like, roaring and, like, <laughs> like just, like, snot coming out of its nose, <laughs> like, smoky snot coming out of its nose. Smoky snot. Okay, that's good. Well, what we've, what we've been able to determine so far, since we don't know for sure what the creature looked like, yeah. even through these descriptions, and it does appear to be something monstrous. So mm-hmm. we, we're agreed, at least, that it's dragon-like, dinosaur-like something, uh, but it's a serpent who plays in the sea. We read that. So it, it, it would be a, like a, a water-dwelling dinosaur. Oh, fancy. And some even thought um, it was a plesiosaur, you know, uh, which was a type of aquatic Okay. Um, it bites or punishes or persecutes Israel. Okay. Because we saw that in Amos. It has multiple heads, and I think seven. We'll find that later. Okay. It appears to be a dragon because it has teeth. It has teeth, scales, smoke, and fire out of its mouth. And it has a heart of stone, and it's the king of pride. 
So this, the, just the takeaways from some of that description yeah. tells us something about Leviathan and that he's a picture of Satan to me because Satan is a serpent. He persecutes Israel. And we're going to find out he's a red dragon that has seven heads in the book of Revelation. Uh, and he's called a dragon, and he certainly has a heart of stone. For sure. And he's certainly king of the children of pride. So with a few minutes that we have left, let's see a seven-headed beast from the sea in the book of Revelation. And let's see if we can draw a connection here. So we're looking at, we, we were kind of thinking in terms of the actual physical animal or creature or monster or whatever Leviathan is. Now let's apply to its metaphorical representation. Okay. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 of the Bible. John writing, he says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat in great authority." Now, we've talked about this beast before in other episodes, and we've talked about those kingdoms and Daniel's visions and Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and things like that. And the kingdoms are uh, the, the four kingdoms that are the empires that God acknowledges in prophecy include Babylon, which we were talking about earlier, yeah. Persia, Greece, and Rome. And the Babylonian empire, from animal standpoints, was likened to a lion, that was their symbol. Mm -hmm. Greece, a leopard. Uh, Persia, a bear. And Rome, the composite of all of them. So Rome really is the dragon empire. The fourth beast is the final beast, which has elements of all of them. So, And it's got the seven heads. So I would say Rome is the dragon empire. And I do believe we're in the Roman Empire now, but it's in mystery form. Because God's kingdom of heaven went into mystery form. And Satan emulates God yeah. in everything he does. So the beast is a dragon or sea serpent because he rises up out of the sea. But while the sea is the ocean, and we can think of it that way, it's also the sea of humanity. In this case, it's symbolic of all the population of humanity. It rises up out of the sea. He comes from among humanity, mm -hmm. and he takes this power. Uh, if we go back to chapter 12, we see another picture of him, and we've talked about this before, but it says in verse 3, there appeared another wonder in heaven. This is Revelation 12, 3. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Now, where we just read in chapter 13, that beast looks like this dragon. Mm -hmm. It's got seven heads, ten horns, but the dragon gives him his power. So this is the dragon. So in other words, this beast in Revelation 13 is the son of Leviathan. Okay. Or he's Leviathan. In the, in the embodiment of Satan or however you want to look at it. But either way it goes, he's powered by the dragon. Here's the dragon himself, and it says his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. We know those stars are angels, so it's a reference to the fallen angels. So it's his kingdom, if you will. Yeah. And he cast him to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, we're going to come talk about the woman more later, especially as we get to the end of part two. 
she starts off this chapter in the the sign or symbol in heaven. We're going to come back to her. But I'm interested in what happens next because she's about to give birth. Labor of birth in the Bible is a picture of Israel in tribulation. So she brought forth a man-child. There's that word again, the man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now we're going to come back and talk about the man-child another time. But what happens, it says in verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. That equals three and a half years. Yeah. In the wilderness, and she's going to be fed. Thou breakest the heads of the Leviathan to give meat to the people in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Something about that, right? So was that a prophecy of what's coming? And what does this mean? She's fleeing, whoever the woman is, and it's really Israel. Uh, We'll get to that in more detail another time. She flees into a place prepared for her. It's in the wilderness. So she's hiding from Lucifer. And God's going to feed her there. What's he going to feed her with? Well, I'm not sure. So Leviathan, I think we got time to make one more point has a city. Leviathan has a city over humanity. I'll give you one guess what the name of that city is. Babylon. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you'd get it because we've already hinted at it a couple of times and we're going to find out mystery Babylon is another woman. Yeah. Not the good one. Oh. The bad one. She's here's the woman that I'm going to prove later. Hopefully that's Israel, but God has a city, a nation of people. Mm Mm-hmm. So does Satan. He's got a city. And this city is over humanity or the sea, if you will. Okay? Mm -hmm. So remember we saw that beast in chapter 13 rise up out of the sea? Yes. Seven heads, ten horns, on and on. Well, we see him again in chapter 17 of Revelation. And watch what happens this time. We'll start in verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. Now he's not coming up from the sea, but into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast. Now, he was a red dragon in chapter 12. Yeah. Scarlet, red, right, in chapter 17. So he carried me in the way in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads, ten horns. Always the same scene. Mm -hmm. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Somewhere along the line, we're going to talk about this way she's decked in scarlet and purple and precious stones and pearls. Okay. And we're going to see why that relates to what Paul wrote about women in the church. Okay. Because there's something about the connection to this woman who's a city, verse 5, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots. A harlot, you probably know, is a prostitute. Nope, I did not know. I I mean, I kind of thought that's what it was, but I'm like, maybe it's like, you know, a very fancy woman. (laughs) Maybe that's why that person got mad at you for saying fancy the other day. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. No, but a harlot's just an old English word for a prostitute, a woman of the evening, a courtesan, right over. And uh, the um, she's called Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints 
and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. We're going to have to stop here, but we're going to pick up in the next episode. And we're going to explore this woman further Mm -hmm. because she's riding on the beast, a seven-headed dragon, Leviathan, a picture of Satan. And she's the city that he uses because he has a kingdom. And we're going to talk about that kingdom and ultimately what's his plan. What is his device he's, he's trying to figure out? He wants to defeat God. He wants to destroy God's people. He wants to prevent there being an Israel. uh, And he wants to basically prevent the seed of the woman from bruising his head, which goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. That's very, very true. So tune in next week. You're going to want to hear the conclusion. Yes, you are. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. As always, make sure that you guys are subscribing, you're sharing, and that you're leaving us questions because we do appreciate the questions we want to keep interacting with you guys. Yep, and we really thank you for those questions because they've been great to keep them coming in. We're going to turn some of them into on the patio episodes. Yes. We're going to deal with some of them uh, at some point when we do another live Q&A with Lena yes. and I on Facebook. And I'll do my best to try to write you back if they're short ones, you know. But I got one the other day that was a doozy. And boy, it was like, this is going to be several episodes. Really? Yeah, I was really encouraged. And it was a new believer, too. So I want to thank him for that. Okay. Yeah. So keep them coming, folks. And thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to biblemysteries.supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at utbnow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.